0: Welcome to Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG. Brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we'll investigate how purpose, vision, and values can guide your company's sustainability actions, behaviors, and mindsets. And we'll discuss
1: their impact with the help of ESG-focused guests from around the globe.
0: I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's get started. Today, we're talking with Mary Adams. Hello, Mary.
2: Hi. Thanks for the invite.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you for uh, talking to us on Sustainable Minds. Okay. So, Mary is an expert, ESG expert, helping business leaders deliver sustainable corporate value through ESG optimization. There's a lot of interesting stuff here we really want to get into. (laughs) She specializes in intangible capital, the multi-capital model. Integrated thinking and integrated management. There's a list of really interesting activities here I'm going to read through, but I'm really dying to jump into our conversation. You're the co-founder and ESG of Insight7. I think it founded in September of 2021. Insight7 focuses on building software that enables businesses to integrate profitability and sustainability as Rocket would say, to connect the dots. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Also, you're the executive director at Exit Planning Exchange for more than a decade. XPX is a network of local nonprofit associations of diverse professional advisors collaborate to help their private company clients build stronger businesses and prepare for and execute successful exit plans. So that's kind of interesting, right? Well, Hmm. it's about
2: long-term thinking, long-term thinking in in private companies.
0: Here's one that we are very interested in. You're the co-founder of Integrated Reporting U.S. Community. The community focuses on bringing long-term thinking to public companies. Boy, good luck with that one. (laughs) (laughs) You're also the co-founder of Smarter Companies, and from 2013 to 2022, Smarter Companies is a business consulting firm that provides tools, methodologies, and training content on modeling, measuring, and managing capital to businesses, helping them increase value. You got a bachelor's from Rice. You got a master's in international management from Thunderbird's School of Global Management. And you're the co-author of Intangible Capital, Putting... Knowledge to Work in the 21st Century Organization. Again, welcome to Sustainable Minds.
2: Thanks. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah. So you're right. I do want to start with that question. When you were a young, young girl and uh, you were sitting there in your living room all by yourself, would you think you wanted to, what interested you at, as a young person?
2: You know, it's hard to remember back. So. Right. <laughs> But, but a couple of things that I remember, and they both start with A, I don't think it was because we had those cards that gave us information about careers, but maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I was always interested in archaeology and history, and I grew up for part of my childhood in New Mexico. And so you're so aware of the landscape and the history, and you're finding fossils mm-hmm. all the time. So. That was something that really interested me, and the other thing I remember was architecture. So I don't know how those two are are related, but thinking about structure and space and experience, and so from there, how I ended up in political science, I think it's just another way of <laughs> understanding life and problems, and then yeah. ended up with a business career. So I always tell my kids, you don't know where, how the journey's gonna go, but. That's the fun of it, I guess.
0: Give us a few of those major stepping stones on that journey.
2: So I started my career, I, I had a short stint at a grad school where I was working in the development world, um, actually in the Dominican Republic, doing teaching in a graduate management program, and developing case studies. And then went from there into finance and joined Citibank down there, and then ended up in LA doing the really high risk finance. Early, we called them leveraged buyouts back then, but it was the early days of the private equity world. And along the way, I also worked for a Japanese finance company. I just reached a point where I wanted to be on the other side of the table, started working with my clients on strategic challenges. And that's when I started seeing this, and because it was happening in real time, this disconnect between what the financial model told us and what was really important and, and how companies were driving value. And so that's really been my journey ever since then for going on 25 years is how do companies create value for whom and over what period? And how do you connect those dots? Because that's really the big challenge that we all face right now is we have unprecedented challenges and opportunities, but how do we actually connect that to what folks are doing day-to-day inside of
0: So I guess that's sort of foundational for why you created Insight 7.
2: Yeah, so Insight 7, it's a great story. The company's been around since 2008, and it was a performance management consulting firm had always over the years developed a growing software to help its clients optimize performance, again, at the intersection between financial and mostly operational issues at that point a lot of background in IT, and then a couple of years ago saw the opportunity to move it from a managed service where a consultant has to be in the middle to forming a user-led software, a software as a service. And they approached me because they said, we've got the performance today part, but how do we put that in the context? And ESG is emerging and the work that I had been doing in Intangible Capital it kind of all came together and as a student of intangibles, the thing that we all know is that if you can turn knowledge into a reusable form, that that it gets really interesting and fun. And so that's what software is. And so we have a quote unquote new software company, but it's based on a very sound history of methodology and some software that's been around and has a, a lot of great stories
0: and everything's changing and evolving, right? And they, everything, constantly <laughs> everythings constantly developing. I've heard and I've read about some of the criticism about some of these softwares, they specialize like maybe in supply chain or climate, but they don't connect the dots, which is needed for creating your strategies, hooking up the information, and which will help you in delivering on those promises. As well as the reporting aspect. Right.
2: So I think I would flip it a a little bit, say it a different way, that a lot of the solutions that are coming out now are specific solutions to operational and reporting challenges. And they are in silos, if you will. They're focusing on the needs of a silo. But someone said to me the other day, and I just love this phrase, that silos in themselves aren't bad. Silos represent expertise and knowledge and capabilities. The problem is when the silos don't talk to you. Right. And so because of that background that I ta- kind of outlined a minute ago, I came at the ESG problem through from the inside out, if you will, because I've been trying to understand what are those long-term drivers of capital and performance. And so I, well, that was a perfect opportunity when I joined Insight7 because what they're providing, we're providing is a software overlay that connects the dots, but doesn't try to replace all that siloed expertise. It's a way of, mm. of leveraging and getting a greater return on the investments. So there are amazing software already emerging and huge problems to solve, like level one, level two, level three carbon emissions, truly scientific questions around different types of energy and your effect on the environment. And there are so many problems to solve. So we shouldn't minimize the strength of those pieces. What we have to think about is how do we fit them together and how do we empower better decision making that takes into account all these new variables?
1: Right. I thought that was um, one of the things that we're interested in and that parallels with all that is how you said that corporations are not accustomed to telling a unified value story and how big that is, that notion. And then looking at how you're talking about really applying These the three big ideas that are behind integrated thinking and reporting and connecting them to, gosh, a lot internally that I think just doesn't happen at most companies of training and discussing quarterly with the governance people with different silos all together, connecting all those people (laughs) and discussing these kind of. All of the content areas, basically, of your integrated
0: model. Hey, Rocket. Let's clear. What are the three big ideas, Mary? The three big
2: ideas. I have. I'm trying to think to put it that way specifically. You have them in front
0: of you,
1: Rocket. Right? Yes, I do. I, do.
0: You're, they, I mean, the article reads the three big ideas behind integrated thinking and reporting. Right. The first one being
1: multiple forms of capital. Right. Explain that to people. Right. So
2: if you, well, I'm going to give a little bit of background. So in the seventies, if you looked at the average company, a public company, you could explain about 83, something like 82, 83% of its value just by looking at its balance sheet. Financial. Right. The financial model was able to explain value, kind of corporate value, value creation. And there are kind of two big things that are going on right now. We have the ESG movement, which is saying we've got to look at these externalities. But we also have the rise of technology and how that's fundamentally changing value creation. So now if you look at the average public company and compare their total corporate value in the stock market to their balance sheets, hard assets only explain, drum roll please, 10 percent. 10 percent. Unbelievable. And so that's where I got involved and interested in, and it has a lot of different names, intellectual capital movement and tangible capital and ultimately the integrated movement. But this idea that we have to understand these other sources of value. And when we talk about value, it's resources that a company uses And then what value do you leave behind? But the really interesting thing about this is that whereas those that 83% of value that was in hard assets, those are all owned by a company, but companies don't own the environment and they don't own their relationships. They don't own their stakeholder. You don't own your employees and your suppliers and your customers and the community. You're getting licensed to operate from them. And they are providing a a basis of long-term value for your organization that can go away if if people stop supporting you. So that's what the idea of the capitals are. It's financial capital, it's the hard assets, some people call that manufactured, but then it's all the kinds of relationship, including with employees, and then the environment And so really, if you think about it, just as in the industrial era, a manager was supposed to drive performance and value today using their resources, but you weren't going to allow your machines to break down, your buildings to have holes in the roof. You had to take care of your underlying capital. And so it's no different today. It's just the other sources of capital have become more important. So you can't drive short-term profits and ignore the needs of your employees, of your customers, of your community, of the environment. And so that's what's really been exciting is that all this is coming together, the ESG, the new ways of looking at capital, the financial model, and that's where these integrated models come together. And the, the capitals thing sounds really esoteric to you, Start applying it. And like in our software, every KPI in the system is connected to work and performance, but it's also connected to a capital. Mm-hmm. And when you make decisions, you have to make, you say, well, we're going to invest this amount of money and this is the performance we're going to get. But then we have a checklist like, will this change your relationship with your customers, with your employees? Will this change our environmental footprint? And just making it easier for people to think holistically. And that's just a mental model to help people deal with that information gap that they're in the financial model.
0: So what used to be called the integrated reporting frameworks, but I think they merged with somebody. I think part of their original formulation is they talked about six capitals. Right. Right. And so, yeah.
1: Well, I love about it is that so many companies that have been stuck in the past of short term profit, they give more credence to their financials being the future of their company that you have kept it talking about capital that they understand, but it's all the intangible capitals for them to pay attention to. And for us, I mean, we do, we're specialists in corporate branding and our background, the first 20 years of our business, Gary and I have been working together for 30, well, the firm's been in business for 38 years, but we've been working together for about 36. But anyways, the, the our background was in and Reports, which was the whole story of a company. And then as we moved into understanding and end Reports became once the internet came, it really changed that because people were following companies and their stories every day. And so what we realized was what we were creating were corporate brands when we used to tell the story of the end report So then we developed, you know, the strategic people and the corporate branding where we don't do consumer branding. We only do corporate branding. But now the parts of the corporate brand are uh, coming full circle. It's incredible how ESG, which has been an interest of mine, now is completely merging with corporate branding and all of the capitals that you're talking about, the externalities, the ESG, sustainability, the internal internalities of your human capital and your structural capital and your natural capital, all of those really do need to be considered. And then as well as the accounting. So it makes such sense we were always sort of struggling when we were doing these ESG reports and we'd work with specialists in ESG. But Gary and I were like, we need to wrap this all around the corporate brand story because you can't just focus on the ESG. You've got to have the values. You've got to have the employees, the community, the everything else, the brand, the reputation. It's all one big ball of wax. And it wasn't until reading some of your developments of being able to articulate what we were feeling that it just sort of the aha happened because i think it's brilliant and it's so simple and yet companies don't do it i mean we're also involved in training for esg and how few companies train their internal people and you're talking about training the governance people, the board of directors, not just the employees. I mean, it's amazing.
2: I think one of the things that I've seen over time is that we're still using tool sets that were really optimized in the industrial, right? And we all went to school and if even if you go to school right now, it's shifting, but but some of the fundamental ideas are still very strong. And if you think about what are the tools that companies have for seeing their company in a holistic way? What covers that full picture? Every company has an org chart. So that explains who does what and how it fits together. That's really around people and roles, not the work they're doing, right? And the second is the chart of accounts, which from the financial perspective, if any dollar is spent, they know how to classify it against that. But we're talking about now, really, neither of those is enough, right? Not just people or money. You need to think about all of it. And that's why for us and the model that we're using is to create a value map, a value creation map. And if you can look at each team as a node on a network map, if you will, and how they're connected, if you can do that, now you have a mental model that everybody understands. And then you can start buying data and controls and it can be auditable. And most importantly, you can bring the data to the people on the ground that have to learn to think holistically, right? That need to think about financial, operational, and sustainability data and how to juggle those three and op- you know, come up with the optimal solution. So I think a big part of it is that our tools are haven't quite caught up. And if we can help people think about how do we all work as value creation teams within our company, and then how are we connected to the our larger ecosystem?
0: You've administered uh, several events around integrated reporting, and as we just said, everything's evolving and changing. What's the current thinking around integrated reporting?
2: There's been just a ton changes as a number of the organizations that started all this thinking have come together. So there used to be an organization just for integrated reporting. Um, They did a lot of great work over the period of about 10 years. We have, among many others, in terms of creating metrics, you have the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. And both of those organizations, have now been absorbed into the IFRS, the International Financial Reporting Standards. That's a nonprofit industry-led group where they have a very deliberate process to create standards and frameworks. So as that came over, a couple things happened. One, for the first time ever, you have financial and ESG sustainability-related standards elevated to be on the same level and get the same attention and precision. And this enables a whole, what the markets are looking for, which we can talk about in a second, but the markets have really pushed this, right? This is a a very pressing need to be able to understand all of this data. So now you have financial standards, you have sustainability standards, but those are two silos, right? How do you get those to talk to each other? And so that's the integrated reporting and principles and the integrated thinking framework have been brought over. Those are two documents that those of us geeky in that movement have been following for a long time. I kind of like the new language they're using is in talking about how this is going to work. They're using the word connectivity. So how are these two things connected? That's really the, the crux of the challenge, right? That's where the movement is. There's, it was kind of a multi-stepped integration, if you will, merger. And the the sustainability standards are really getting much more embedded now. And there's a lot of good work going on behind the scenes to promote this integrated reporting. By the way, I mean, it hasn't been a huge trend in the U.S. yet, but some very interesting Companies have been on that journey for quite a while. Intel is one that's always worth looking at because they have a page for each of their capitals and their annual report. Companies like AEP have been issuing integrated reports for something like 16 years. Clorox, there are just many, many companies. We at the community you mentioned, Gary, the Integrated Reporting U.S. community, we interviewed a lot of them over the years and heard about their journeys of being able to say, look at, I mean, the bottom line is there are kind of three reasons why all this is happening. One is the values. Our values are shifting. We understand that it's important and we want to want to fulfill our values more in our work. But the real big thing that's happened recently is the understanding that it's also about value and risk. And the largest investors in the world have said, we cannot diversify away these the risks in ENS, the environmental and social. We have to change the system. And that's what's behind all this, adding new metrics, new reporting requirements. But then the third thing to values value, the third thing is innovation. I personally believe that whatever you want to call it, ESG, sustainability, triple bottom line, this is fueling decades, probably fifty years of innovation and value creation, and if we're lucky, we'll save the world or make the world a better place because there are some fundamental challenges right now of just we're reaching the end of the earth's capability to,
1: to handle us. Yes, so. incredible It's incredible. I was interested in I was thinking about how. The capital asset, I mean the management asset companies, BlackRock and First Street and all these people, they've all sort of developed their own ESG evaluation models that go into their method of investing. It's across the board that they have recognized that ESG, they can't evaluate a company without this non-financial information. But what I I was wondering with the integrator reporting, it's almost like you have to go preach to the to these choirs, like educate and train them to understand all these multiple capitals within a company. It's not just ESG and financial. I mean, it's really much more of a detailed picture and involves the management so much more of the management and the way these companies operate, which you just don't see in the reporting. It's just not there. What do you do? How do you start that conversation? Because really those asset companies are the ones that got the ball rolling as far as saying your financial performance and your ESG. We need to know both. But it's not just the ESG. It's all these evaluations of the innovation and the internalities of a company as well as the externalities. So I don't know how you I guess you just keep on the war path <laughs> trying yeah, to I, get you know, people to convert. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's
2: as the ESG metrics become more reliable and
1: comprehensive.
2: Comprehensive the, the, the thinking is very much that in short order, companies are going to have to start reporting those things at the exact same time and then begin to connect those dots. This is just a very conceptual answer, but we had a great interview with a gentleman called Jamal Booker from Coca-Cola a number of years back. And he was showing how their sustainability report and then their summary report about the company had existed as two completely different reports. He showed us over five, I think it was five years, how the covers changed and they were completely different in the beginning. And by the fifth one that he showed us, the financial report was showing a bunch of new products, pictures of these bottles of new products that they were launching. And the cover of the sustainability report was showing the outline of those bottles, ah. and it, it caused this image that what we're doing is, has is the products and the traditional thinking, but that there's something else there. There's this shadow, and obviously, it's a much more complicated thing than that. Rocket mm-hmm. to but pull off, but that's kind of that's the essence of what we're trying to get. The stories we tell and the understanding <laughs> we get of how values created and what's the broader picture. And by the way, this whole shareholder value thing, we got into this dogma of shareholder value 40 plus years ago, but it never made sense, right? Because except unless you're optimizing for day traders, no board should be focused on the short term stock valuation. You should be thinking about the long term. And in the medium and long term, All of those things converge, the interests of your shareholders, your stakeholders, the environment. And so it's just kind of clearing our head and saying, oh, my goodness, we need to get back to fundamentals here.
0: So a little bit over to the different corner here that we're talking about. I was having lunch last Friday with a business friend who I've known for 20 some odd years. And they are a CMO at a... It's a $3 billion business-to-business company. It's owned by a private equity company. And we're starting to see a lot of private equity holding companies asking their companies to start thinking through their strategies and reporting on their sustainability strategy. So with that in mind, a company that's about to start that journey, what advice would you give them? to how to think about it, how to approach it, what to be thinking about.
2: We actually have a free tool on our website that you can either use ours or you can do this yourself. But where you think about that map of your value creation. So every company has some kind of product or service and production and IT and HR, and you have all the different pieces of the puzzle. And then, then you look at, at each piece and you say, okay, how important and material are we doing from financial perspective, a sustainability perspective and an operational? So high, medium, low, right? So high level of cost, a low level of performance, low level of sustainability. That's your greatest risk, right? You're spending a lot of money and you're not getting results on it. So you go down and you, I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, it's like a materiality from the inside out. Materiality from the outside in is you ask stakeholders. And you're probably going to get to the same place, right? But the reason we like that is because it's teaching people to think about that balance, financial, operational, sustainability. And then then if you look at it, then you create a basically a heat map and say, okay, we know this is where we need to start. How can we look at that piece of the puzzle and break down what's the work they do? What are the metrics we need to consider? And then we have a little way to develop business plans in there to say, okay, how am I going to invest to move the needle on these key metrics Whether say, it's decarbonization? I, we want to invest in solar. What's that gonna get? How much does it cost us? Are we going to get the power generation we need, the operational? And then how much is it going to move the needle on our carbon footprint? And so most people in the teams on the ground creating value know how to solve the problems there, but they're not always given that trio of information, right? Financial is over here and that's owned by somebody And sustainability. There's all this information. So everybody from the top to the bottom needs to be able to connect the dots. And that's really the you know, exciting things. So I got a little off your question, but the the short answer is look holistically at your company, pick your battles. We call it map, prioritize, and optimize. And then as you learn, you just keep sharing that this knowledge and results internally and hopefully becomes a virtuous cycle.
1: Yeah. I mean, some things that I see or struggle with is obviously the quarterly reporting and the pressure of still, even though they say they're moving companies to long-term value and that this minute is helping, there's still an awful lot that are involved with short-term. And is the short-term connected to management? that turns over and they're just interested in there's an element of greed and just taking care of me (laughs) rather than the long-term existence of a company. That's one thing. And then the other thing is, is that you look at that innovation uh, thing, (laughs) whatever you could, and that innovation, just like R&D for developing drugs, an awful lot of money goes in where there's no return in hope of that fit. And so how do you get companies to, and a lot of it just has, I just feel has to do with the management and the people at the top. And as Kerry said to me, the fish stinks at the head. What do you say? That's it. That's <laughs> so, I mean, and that I find troubling. In the LA Times this week, There was an article, I mean, it was just on Sunday, I think it was, either Saturday or Sunday, big oil company, big oil is copping out on green energy, surprise, and it just recites how all of these companies in their earnings calls now have said, we're dialing back our investment in renewables there's just not the return and we have to put it into the old models that are getting us all into trouble because there's still a, a return on all of that that we have to cultivate. And it's so frustrating.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the good news and the, the hope we all have is that all of our audiences, all of the stakeholders are more empowered than they've ever been and have the ability to, make their views known and to pressure people one way or another one of the things we said in our book which goes back now over 10 years ago but the idea that reputation is the new bottom line if you damage your reputation that costs you more money than <laughs> almost any mistake you can make so listen it's the markets are still run by humans and there are a lot of good and a lot of bad people out there but The trajectory here is, I think, in the right direction. And I think the real key is, can we make sure that the right data and the right tools are getting into the hands of the people that can actually drive change? Yeah. And just keep doing that every day
0: and keep the pressure. So Mary, talking about that trajectory, it's five years from today and we're doing this podcast again. What are the important topics that we're talking about five years out, or even 10 years out?
2: Well, I think I do believe that the kind of the cornerstones of the future being put into place right now, I do think the emergence of the standards that will sit side by side with financial standards, and that the way that works, standards get adopted by these standards boards, but then they have to be implemented in each country, right? So in the U.S., the markets are going to be very careful and the SEC has already indicated they're going to take a few steps. So it will eventually become required and public companies are already operating under the assumption that it will be required of them to have audited, really reliable reporting. So that's the first piece. The integrated piece, as I said, there's been a lot of work done, but it's they're just now I've attended a number of meetings and there's more meetings in the next coming months to really solidify that and talk about what is integration and connectivity look like. So based on what I've seen of companies that already started on that journey, they'll get better and better at it. And we'll start talking more about systems thinking. I think the promise of So we'll have the standards, we'll have more connectivity, and then we'll definitely have more tools. I mean, right now we're at a time of incredible innovation in the services and tools that are supporting this. And there are so many ESG platforms and tools. And as you mentioned, some very specialized, but that people will be armed with tool sets that actually help them to think differently. And will we have solved... All the problems, no, but I do think that we will have a much sounder structure in place for standards, for integration, and for implementation.
1: And to me, it means consistency across the world. That that's, these companies need to, as where I started, tell a unified story and it all needs to reflect each other, the purpose, the value, the capitals, everything needs to be, nothing can be mutually exclusive. It has to be inclusive of really telling the story of a company. And I guess that's where it's going to come to where the pressure is going to come from people on the outside that are able to say, this is bullshit because you're saying your values are this, but, and your purpose is this, but look at your actions and how you're running the company. So, yeah, I think a big part of it is that regulation. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen until it's required.
0: Mary, thank you for your time. This has been great. Yes. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Wonderful to talk with you.
2: Enjoyed it a lot. Thank you for this and for all the conversations you're leading on this podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, but every day we do a podcast, we just realize how important we got into it because we really believe that this is really critical. But we talk to amazing people such as yourself in all corners of the world, doing all different aspects, sustainability, longevity, and planning for the future. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, we had no idea that it would. Every day we learn when we're doing this podcast, and we just, it's been fantastic. Thank it's you wonderful. for your contribution. Yes.
2: Wonderful. The time went by so fast, so thank you.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'll take that as a good sign, Mary. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All, All right. Bye. Enjoy bye the, rest bye bye. the rest of your uh, uh,
1: week. You yeah, we'll be in touch. Bye. Okay. bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Sustainable Minds wherever you get your podcasts. And please do live a review if you like what we're doing.
0: It helps others discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to find out more about how we can help you evolve your corporate brand, culture, and ESG, head to bakerbrand.com.
1: See you on the next episode of Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG.